0: Okay, brethren, we're blessed to, uh, to have our first message today. Uh, I'm looking forward to this. Reg has been giving me a little primer for the last couple of Sabbaths about it. Um, and it's going to be really good, I know. And it is entitled, Fitly Joined Together. Start with a question you've heard before. Why are you here in this place with these people at this time right here, right now? Instead of, say, in Greenland or somewhere. So we know that God is not the author of chaos and confusion. That's the devil's role or the world of a politician. Rather, he does stuff with purpose and intent, not on some whim or divine caprice. So why in the world did he bring together such a diverse group as us for such a time as this? I doubt seriously that we would ever have uh, been thrown together by a simple random chance because other than our devotion to God's law, there's not a lot of commonality among us. Uh, rather, I suspect that we are called out of the world and brought together for some yet unknown purpose. Believe it or not, God sends specific people to specific congregations to fulfill a particular need in the individual, the congregation, or both. <coughs> Sorry. Um, and sometimes he has a strange sense of humor about doing so. After all, 35 years ago, last February, he sent me to Lawrence, and if that doesn't illustrate God's sense of humor, nothing will. Okay. Uh, I submit that God put people together to fulfill mutual need, mutual need for growth. Thus, each member of the congregation has something to contribute to the group and something to gain from interacting with the group. To quote an old axiom, we meet people for a reason, either for a blessing or a lesson. One of the two. This contribution we commonly refer to as a spiritual gift. But how do we know what spiritual gift we have to contribute. I tell you, spiritual gifts do not come gift wrapped in predetermined box sets that are the same for every congregation. Um, Rather, uh, each gift uh, present in a congregation arises out of mutual need of the attendant members and the congregation as a whole. So the presence of a uh, in a congregation will, of the gift in the congregation, will vary with the congregation's need. For example, here we all speak basically the same language. Gathered, granted, there's a great deal of difference between the King's English, Standard American, and Oki, But uh, it's basically the same English. It's, th- it's basically the same language. So we really have no need for gifts or tongues or interpreters. Um, gifts of tongues are interpret. However, in a congregation with a multicultural composition, such a gift would probably be a necessity, along with the gift of interpretation. But we really have no need for such a gift. So it would be wasted here. Wasted here. And our God is not wasteful. Our God is not wasteful. So the Pentecostal notion that speaking in tongues is the only proof of the Holy Spirit is a false doctrine. For not every church Needs the gift of tongues or interpreters. Our scriptural knowledge of uh, our scriptural knowledge of spiritual gifts comes primarily from Paul's letters to the early churches. They were struggling with the uh, trying to maintain themselves. The churches of Ephesus and Corinth, in particular. But Paul was writing to the uh, church at Corinth. Uh, but when Paul was writing to the church at uh, uh, Ephesus, uh, I got the wrong one. Uh, Church of Ephesus of spiritual gifts, he was writing under the influence of the Holy Spirit, and his mind was attuned, albeit maybe subconsciously, to their specific needs. We must not make the mistake of thinking that the spiritual gifts described in Ephesians 4 are the only ones available. They are not. But they do give us a good place to start. So let's turn to Ephesians 4. Now the church at Ephesus was plagued by uh, fracturing, due largely to the divisive members and its cosmopolitan composition that included a number of travelers uh, from other, uh, from foreign lands and uh, former pagan idol worshipers who were bringing foreign notions into the church, contaminating the joy of the congregation with confusion and contention. You see, Ephesus was a major port city with a deep natural harbor, and it made the, the city ideal for commerce. In addition, it was the home of one of the seven wonders of the world, uh, of the ancient world, the a Temple to Diana. Uh, this was the mother, mother goddess with rows of breasts hanging out everywhere and a child hanging on each nipple. So that was the image that you had inside this church or this temple. This temple was located right at the vertex of the harbor. So it was the first thing a traveler saw as he disembarked from his ship to enter Ephesus or the last thing he saw uh, leaving, uh, the boarding the ship to leave Ephesus. The temple trade and the business, because there's a lot of business going on, the business of a, a religion caused many problems for the Ephesian church and many headaches and heartaches for Paul as he repeatedly tried to keep them straight in the faith once delivered. In short, he was having a problem just keeping them together. Turn to Ephesians 4, uh, verses 1 through 8. This is in the King James Version. I, therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling which you were called, with all lowliness and gentleness, with long-suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above us and through all and and in all in you all. But to each one of you, uh, each one of us, grace was given according to the message, measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, he says, when he is ascended on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts to men. Okay, so the principal gift that he gives us is his grace. his unmerited forgiveness for all our misdeeds. In grateful return for that pardon, we are commissioned to work to work, and to perform the work, he are given spiritual gifts to facilitate their execution. Let's continue reading in Ephesians 4 to see some examples. This is verses 11 through 16. And he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come in the unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, unto a more perfect man, unto the measure of the statue of the fullness of Christ, that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro, and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the sleight of men, and cunning craftiness, whereby they do wait in, that lie in wait to deceive. But speaking the truth in love, may grow up into him in all things, which he is the head, even Christ. From whom the whole body fitly joined together, hence my title, and compacted by that which every joint supplies, according to the effectual working in the in the measure of every part, which makes increase, which make maketh increase of the body unto the edifying of of itself in love. Gifts that Paul mentions here are specifically targeted to address the needs of the Ephesian, Ephesian church. And they are very still relevant for us today. But they are not the only ones that are needed by a modern 21st century church. Remember, he who buries his talent makes a grave mistake. In First Corinthians 12, Paul describes the church using the human body as a metaphor. At, one, at the end of this past school year, after moving 29 years worth of classroom accumulation from my BTW High School, back to my home, I was dead tired. Too tired even to move. I sat down, and my keys in my pocket began hurting the leg. My leg was sending a message to pain to my brain that went something like this: Move the leg, fool! Remove the keys, or do something, but give us some relief down here! I tried to ignore it, uh, but the message kept coming until I finally tossed my keys on the dresser. For a body- Fitly joined together if one body part is hurting then it sends a message to the head um, which in turn which is Christ uh, in turn instructs the other body parts to help that one likewise if a member of the body of Christ is hurting and we are all members first Corinthians 12:12 12, 12 tells us then each And that member asks Christ, the head of the body, for help who in turn directs other members of the congregation to fix the problem. If we extend the analogy then, Christ is the head and the brain. We are the body parts, the sensors, the organs, the muscles, the bones, the tendons, and the cartilage. The Holy Spirit is the nervous system that connects us all and love is the blood that sustains us. In a body fitly joined together, the parts of the body cooperate don't compete with one another but they cooperate with one another in a symbiotic relationship for the greater good of the whole a healthy body does not compete with itself only a dysfunctional body does that what follows uh, is what I call the debate of the body parts this is 1 Corinthians 12 verses 14 through 27 I'm reading out of the New King James Version in this one for in fact the body is not one member, but many. If the foot should say, Behold, I am not a hand, I am not of the body, it is, therefore, is it not therefore not of the body? If the ear should say, Because I am not an eye, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? If the whole body were an eye, where would be the hearing? And if the whole were hearing, where would be the smelling? But now God has set the members, each one of them, in the body, just as he pleased. And if, he, and if they were all one member where would the body be uh, but th- now indeed there are many members yet one body and the eye cannot say to the hand I have no need of you nor again the head to say to the feet I have no need of you no much rather those members of the body which seem to be weaker are necessary and those members of the body which we think to be less honorable on those we bestow great honor and our unpresentable parts have a greater modesty but our presentable parts uh, have no need but God composed the body having given greater honor to that part which lacked it and that there should be no schism in the body, but all members uh, should, have the, uh, should have the same care one for the other. Likewise, in a healthy church, all the members are working together in various roles for the edification of the whole, with no one role more important than another, although some are more public. We, use, we are the body of Christ first, and members of the body in particular second. We must never forget that priority. Still, let's look at the basic gifts in the light of this uh, of personality profiling. That's what I'm doing today. Uh, to see which gifts uh, is your personality best suited. Now, you can find personality profiling on the web. There are thousands and thousands of tests that you can take to help you to find out which gifts best match up with your personality. To, uh, also, personality profiling, um, such as the Myers-Briggs' uh, personality profile, the bird types, the, MB, uh, the uh, DISC file, Don Lowry's true colors, all of these are available to you on the web to help you out. Um, let's see, this 1 Corinthians 12, uh, now 6 through 14 verse. And there are diversities of activities, but in the same God who works in all. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. For to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit, to another the word of knowledge through the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to to another gifts of healings by the same Spirit, to another workings of miracles, to another prophecy, to another discerning of Spirit, to another different kinds of tongue, to another the interpretation of tongue. But there's one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually as he wills. For as the body is one and has many members, but all the members of that one body being many are one body, so is Christ. For by one spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and have been uh, made to drink into that one spirit. For in fact, the body is not one member, but many. many. Continuing in uh, down in verse 26 through 31. If one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. It's like the, my keys hurting my leg. Uh, if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. Or if one member is honored, all the members rejoice in it. Now that you are the body of Christ and members individually. And God has appointed these in the church: first apostles, second prophets, third teachers. After that, miracles and the gifts of healing, helps, administrations, various varieties of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Are all workers in miracles? Do all have the gift of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? But earnestly desire the best of gifts. And yet I show you a more excellent way. He also addresses the same issue in Romans 12. So Corinthians 12 and Romans 12 both describe the, the, uh, the gifts and the, uh, and the roles in the church. So Romans 12, 3 through 8. For I say, though grace uh, through the grace given to me, to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. For as we have many members in one body, but all of the members do not have the same function, so we, being many, are one uh, body in Christ and in individual members of one another. Yeah, okay. Having then gifts, Differing according to the grace that is given to us. Let us, then, let us use them if prophecy. Um, then let us prophesy in proportion to our faith. Or ministry. Let us use it in our ministering. He who teaches in teaching. He who exhorts in exhortation. He who gives with liber- liberality. He who lends with diligence. Or he who leads with diligence. He who shows mercy with cheerfulness. Okay, you say. Tell so my body part, uh, which part am I? Okay, for obvious reasons, I'm gonna drop the body analogy at this point. I know you guys. Uh, so, uh, uh, so let's talk about roles in the church instead and try to identify them. Not everyone is suited for every role, and to place someone in a role for which he is not equipped would be detrimental to all. I'll use myself as an example. I am, by nature, an introvert. Myers-Briggs calls, I test out as an INFJ. Um, meaning that I get my energy, I recharge from quiet time in meditation alone. Interacting with people drains me of every spark of energy I have. Hence, I can be a speaker, a singer, or a teacher, roles that involve presenting only. But I would be most uncomfortable as a greeter, a host, an MC, an elder, a pastor, a deacon, or any other role that involve a lot of interaction. Also, while I'm good at designing and creating things, I am not good at implementing the very things that I created. Uh, nor am I all that good at working with detail work, such as accounting. Such work would make me absolutely miserable. And hence, I am most thankful that there are people out there that like to do that sort of thing. Uh, Uh, There are also things that I would like to be able to do, but for which I do not have the ability. For example, I would love to be able to play a musical instrument. I really would. But I do not have the natural dexterity or the coordination to do so, uh, to utilize my talents effectively. Any role that I perform must have a creative or expressive component. Anything else would not be good for the task and would make me miserable. So what should we do? Do we dwell on our weaknesses? or play to our strengths. Do we dwell on our weaknesses or play to our strengths? I suggest that you find something that you are good at and develop it into a strength. Don't waste your time uh, on something for which you have neither the interest nor the aptitude. Rather, pursue materializing your dreams. One of the great shortcomings of the American education system uh, is that we try to force children to study things for which they have no inclination at all. Okay. Students are, some students are simply not well equipped for academic classroom and uh, should be working with their hands or learning a trade instead. It is a disservice to um, uh, everyone concerned to lock them into a box, to restrict their movements and act interaction, to try to transfer musty facts from books in their heads when they are living in a digital world. If he has a knack for plumbing or carpentry or masonry or ceramics or HVAC or electricity or cooking or landscaping, let him become the best plumber, carpenter, mason, potter, HVAC technician, cook, landscaper possible. Don't waste his talents and mediocrity, but let him excel through his talents. God is training us now to develop the skills for the jobs that we will be doing throughout eternity. Doesn't mean you're always going to be a, a carpet cleaner, for example, or, or the like. But it means you're learning skills in this trade that we're going to be using for eternity. Um, and his, his professional development positions are specifically ta- tailored to our talents. So how can we identify the roles that are best suited to us? First and foremost, we have to, uh, the role of student and trainee. God is not trying to save the world now. If he were, then he's losing the war. Rather, he is recruiting trainees for the jobs of priests and kings, among whom, uh, who, uh, among those who freely and willingly submit to his will and follow his commandment. These terms, priests and kings, are scriptural diction and are a bit misleading, for it does not imply that everyone will be working in the temple or the government. Rather, these terms refer to people in positions of command or authority, and they are administrators at all different levels and imply a level of trust, loyalty, and aptitude, just as there were many levels of rulers and priests in the temple service. Secondly, the administrative roles are public and private, not primary and support. And each person can perform more than one role. We don't have to be locked into one role only. We need Uh, So public roles, what are they? Minister, teacher, message bringer, elder, deacon, deaconess, song leader, pianist, usher, rick and... Brian, back at Central Command, uh, council member. those who offer ceremonial public prayer, greeters, musicians, special music performers, announcement givers, Bible study leaders, scripture readers, emcees at social, laying on of hands, healers. These are public roles, things that everyone see. There's a lot of roles that go on behind the scenes behind the scene role are helpers, supervisors, custodial and maintenance personnel, librarians, both for literature and uh, CDs, uh, landscaping, teachers' age, climate control, seating, social committees, visiting committees, business administration, kitchen supervisor, kitchen personnel, ministers to the uh, sick and the elder, event coordinators, caregivers, record keepers, people who maintain correspondence with members we've lost track of, um, uh, Equipment, maintenance, chauffeur, uh, telephone operators, keepers of the sanctuary, writers, lesson planners, many more. In addition to the behind-the-scene roles, there's also private roles. Friend, listener, confidant, comforter, counselor. Um, biblical terms is exhortation. Uh, exhortation means that you prod the person on, that you encourage him and build him up. This is a very important role, is a private role though, not one that's out in public, I've seen a lot. Um, let's see, a, a, a counselor, advisor, exhorter, helper, caregiver, greeter, praying for others, peacemaker, judge, news hawk, not gossip, but a news hawk, one to keep us informed of what's going on in the world. Healing, fasting, charity, anti-neglect person. Remember, identify your strong point points and fully develop those. Don't work on your weak areas to develop a role. The, the, the principle here is the biblical principle. It's the difference between mediocrity and greatness. Work on your strong points to become great. Don't work on your weak points to become mediocre. Okay, so how do you identify your roles? Okay, um, first thing, identify your natural intelligences. Howard Gardner identified... Uh, in frames of mind and multiple intelligence theories in practice, identified at present nine distinct identifiable intelligences that are located, localized within the brain. I'll just simply name these off very first, quickly first. Mathematical logic, the verbal or linguistic, musical, uh, spatial perception, uh, interpersonal, intrapersonal kinesthetic, which is body and uh, motor skills, nature. Some people have a natural uh, ability to grow plants out of nothing, basically, and others would kill the healthiest garden there is with a black thumb. Some people can almost talk to animals. They are so, uh, well, others, an animal snarls and runs away at first sight. Existential the uh, cosmological intelligence to uh, understand our place in the universe or our place for our being. Okay, that's the first thing. Identify your natural intelligence. Then go find out what your personality type is because the personality type uh, uh, illustrates how you approach the world. Now, the, as I mentioned earlier, there are the Myers-Briggs Temperament Indicator, the DISC uh, Personality Profile, Don Laurie's True Colors and take flight bird types. Those are four, just four of the many, 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 many personality type programs. Now, some religious folk uh, object to personality profiling, asserting that it is similar to astrology and seeks to pigeonhole people, denying them their infinite godly potential. Nothing could be farther from the truth. Astrology asserts, that the position of the heavenly body, the sun, the moon, the planets, stars, comets, etc., at the time and location of birth determine his personality, fortune, uh, destiny, relationships, wealth, fame, career, health, lifespan, and other things. It is very deterministic. It is almost to the point of fatalism. Personality profiling, on the other hand, makes no assertion about the cause of life's aspect. Rather, it's based on statistics and honest responses to questionnaires and inventory. It, it seeks to identify one's personality type by classifying the personality with others who have made similar responses on the items on the inventory. So it is a statistical science. It is not a, a pseudoscience as well. The, The personality profile, then, is a statistical science identifying the shared common characteristics of people who respond similarly on a questionnaire. If the inventory is answered honestly, then the profile is most assuredly correct because it is a reflection of the free choices of the individual. I lost my train and will often uh, provide great insight into one's beliefs, values, interests, attitudes, strengths, and weaknesses. Profiling also helps with interpersonal relationship, because if you, knew, if you know where the other person is coming from psychologically, then we'll be better able to understand the position he holds on topics and issues, and such so- understanding should minimize conflict and hate crime. Um, most four-term profiles are based upon the work done by uh, Myers-Briggs, and yeah, I'm running. Okay, uh, the mother-daughter team uh, who first developed the detailed modern uh, personality type profiling. Uh, although the four-port model itself dates back into antiquity, uh, I'll illustrate the four profiles using the MBTI. The first spectrum is a um, dichotomy that uh, were Describes, sorry, try again. The, the first spectrum, this dichotomy describes both where we focus our energy and how we replenish or uh, recharge to replenish that energy. The ends are the pure introvert and the pure extrovert. Introverts, that's my one, uh, focus primarily on ideas, memories, and personal experiences. They recharge through alone time, meditation, prayer. Quiet reflection, away from the bustling crowd. They tend to be loners. Do not like social uh, events or parties uh, because being around people exhausts and drains their energies. Many of us are empath and we absorb the feelings of others, and it's just too much to bear. They need quiet time alone to let the murky waters settle out the contaminants stirred up by interacting with people. They support, They prefer support positions over positions that require contact with clients. Some can hold positions of authority if it is presentational, but they do, not, they do so at a great expense to themselves. They may disappear completely from social circle for days or weeks at a time. Extroverts, in contrast, focus outwardly on other people in action. They are the life of the party and the center of attention. No one can stay a stranger around them. We have several of those in our congregation here. Maxine's uh, definitely one. Uh, Jeanette McMurray is another. No one stays a stranger around those people, okay? Uh, They gravitate toward positions of leadership, they get charged up by interacting with people, and they love socializing and activity. What, What would drain an introvert invigorates the extrovert. And then there's an ambivert, which is very rare, maintains the perfect balance between the two extremes. In the original study, Myers-Briggs found that the introvert-to-extrovert ratio was 1 to 3, or about 25% introvert, 75% extrovert. But today, the ratio is about half and half. Also, today's psychologists veer away from the strict dichotomy of introvert-extrovert, but it to see it as a continuum, and we are at different points along the continuum here leaning more to one or the other. Second spectrum. I, uh, second spectrum. The dichotomy identifies the uh, source of the information, how we gather information and what kind of information we trust. The, the two ideas are sensors or intuitives. Sensors rely upon trust uh, exclusive. Rely upon and trust exclusively data received by our 19 senses. They live in the present and are attentive to detail. They are well-groomed and down-to-earth. They prefer precise and exact language without a lot of flowery metaphor. They trust the practical and, uh, and concrete. They are most interested in utility. They prefer routine and predictable procedures. Intuitives, intuitives, on the other hand, ultimately trust their intuition over what their senses tell them. They are global in mindset, more concerned with the big picture than with details. They will trust a hunch over circumstantial evidence. They have a future orientation. They can easily find patterns in anything. Uh, I don't know how many times I've just found patterns on the bat- tiles on the bathroom floor, for example. Um, they can often view the world as metaphor and analogy and use figurative language extensively in the descriptions. People often uh, describe an intuitive as having his head in the clouds. They are creative and theoretical and have little regard for practicality. They are uh, in touch with a greater truth and they are always learning something new. Third spectrum. This dichotomy clarifies how we make the decisions, is thinking or feeling. Okay. Uh, the thinkers. Uh, type have a preference for thinking, remove themselves from the equation when making a decision. They value impartiality and logic, carefully evaluating the cause and effect relationship, but can uh, sometimes come across as cold and unfeeling. The feeling people, on the other hand, um, when making important decisions, they emphasize, emphasize, empathize with others, putting themselves in the shoes of other people. They consider the values of others and the impact the decisions will have on people around them. They do not like conflict and will sacrifice their own preferences for the sake of harmony unless a higher value is at stake, and then they will stubbornly defend those strong values. Four spectrum. Um, this dichotomy indicates our approach to the world around us, uh, the perceiving and judging types. Perceiving types uh, want more than, than anything else just to experience the world as perceivers. They prefer to live a more spontaneous, less structured existence. They enjoy variety, spontaneity, trying new things, what's more? They sometimes fear making decisions because they don't want to miss out on anything that could have been a better choice. Uh, judging types, on the other hand, Like our decisions made, our ducks in a row, our projects completed. They are planners and list makers who uh, hate uh, having something due at the last minute and will work ahead to avoid stress. They tend to be perfectionists. They are creatures of habit, uh, preferring routine and scheduled activities to exploring something new simply because routine reduces the number of decisions they have to make. We're lazy. Okay, however, uh, they will periodically insist on a sudden drastic change just for the sake of variety. Okay, I'm running short of time. So there are other forms like the DISC. DISC stands for uh, dominant uh, or interactive, supportive, and compliant. If You can think of this as birds. Uh, an eagle is dominant. A peacock or parrot is interactive. A dove is supportive and peaceful. An owl is compliant and conscientious with his own standards. Uh, Traditionally, there are are a list of, like, um, let's see, 19 distinct uh, roles or gifts described in the scripture. They are, I'll list them for you, pastor, shepherd, apostle, uh, evangelist, administrator, leadership, uh, prophecy, teaching, wisdom, knowledge, discernment, exhortation, faith, miracles, healings, mercy, giving, speaking in tongues, interpreting tongues, and serving or ministering. Those are the ones that are officially listed in uh, Scripture, in, as I mentioned, Ephesians 4, uh, 1 Corinthians 12, and Romans 12. So those are the sources. Those are the ones that Scripture identifies. If you want to help to find your um, which of spiritual gift you have? Um, there's a website you can go to. One of many. Uh, this is called spiritual www dot com. If you want to try to go find, that's a pretty good one to look at to start with. And it will give you the definitions of all of these different roles and and uh, gifts and what you're supposed to do. I pa- had passed out to you uh, a little booklet here, and this is something I made up. The first six of these. Uh, are taken from an outside source, Uh, but it's a good little test to find out what your gifts are and see which ones you have the highest scores on. Those are the ones. In addition, though, I propose some others as roles or gifts for our time. Um, Guardian, seer, mediator, facilitator, um, librarian, accountant, judges, communicators, jar bringers, musician, healer, chef, chauffeur, Chauffeur and uh, farmer. Now these are both literal gifts and figurative gifts. Uh, let me give an example or two. Uh, the Guardian. Um, a few years ago, we had an, uh, uh, some someone claiming to be an apostle coming to our church and try to spread his doctrine around. And uh, Mr. Gregory, um, David, and um, several uh, others all came up as guardians of our church, to prevent him. It is one willing to, willing and able to defend the congregation with sound doctrine against intruders who come among us and, uh, with their own agendas like wolves among the sheep. They're knowledgeable, bold, courageous enough to speak to power, able to confront opposition with strong conviction found in script, founded upon Scripture, uncompromising with Scripture and the sanctity of the congregation." Willing to show intruders the door when necessary. This is a very important role when we have intruders coming into us, and we need these guardians. Um, uh, I'll show you one more example of this one, and I'll end it here. The chef. Uh, It's another uh, subclass of Joybringer. The chef is one capable of blending diverse substances into a harmonious whole. They are experimental, creative, inventive, expressive, curious, courageous, and self-sacrificing. They have the ability to synthesize and can imagine the result before they begin uh, to cook. They are essentially They are usually organized and efficient, but not necessarily in a conventional way since the process is an artistic expression and not just a perfunctory task. Metaphorically, as I said, each of these roles that I've come up with here have both a literal sense and a metaphorical sense. Metaphorically, the chef is one who can bring together disparate elements uh, to produce an integrated whole, such as a building maintenance manager, a director or production of a play, coordinator of a Sabbath school program, organizer or MC of a church function, such as a potluck picnic, social, fun show, song fest, etc. So there are multiple roles that we have, and these are not the only ones. These are a few of the spiritual ro- gifts and roles that you can perform in God's church. This list is not exhausted by any means, for new gifts and new roles may emerge in God's church as new demands are placed upon it. Find your gifts. Find your roles. Remember, you can have more than one. Find your function in the body of Christ. Seize it with vigor, even if it is a rather passive gift of wisdom or sage. Do your thing. Find your gift. Use it. Work it. Make make God's church better for we are building uh, for the edifying and the building up of our church.